All right. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you. Good to see you here. This is the first Easter Sunday that I've been able to be here at Soda, and I'm so excited to share Easter with you. Uh, This is an important day of the year, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, I want to say just a quick word about Lineage Retreat. Uh, If you remember, we've typically had Lineage Retreat in August, and I know many of you were expecting Lineage Retreat to happen the last week of August. I don't know if you saw on the graphic, this year we could not get any facility in the last week of August, and so we had to move Lineage Retreat till October. It's the weekend of October 11th. So please put that on your calendars. Move things around if you have to. Uh, quit your job if you need. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But, but you don't want to miss it, and I'll tell you why. How many of you in this room have been through the ABBA conference? Raise your hand. You've been through the ABBA conference. Raise your hand. So there's like four of you, five of you in this room. Let me tell you what the ABBA conference is. The ABBA conference is the foundational teaching that is at the, that is underneath everything that we believe here and teach at Living Hope Christian Center. The Lord gave it to me in 2008. And at that time I took our Emeryville campus up to Mount Hermon in the in the Santa Cruz mountains when the Lord gave me this and I spent a whole day teaching through this construct. All we got there early Saturday morning and I taught all the way through it until late Saturday night and the effect that it had on lives was absolutely astounding. I saw folks break free in some absolutely astounding ways. And after that we did it every year and we did it every year until 2014. I don't know what happened in 2014, but we have not done one since 2014. And uh, because of that, there's, you know, a lot of people have been coming to me, even people, there are folks who have gone through it multiple times and have come back to me and said, I went through it three times, but I need to go through it again. So will you do it again, please? Because we need the ABBA conference and there's too many members of our church who have never gone through the ABBA conference. So we started to pray and ask the Lord, how are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? We started looking for opportunities to do it. And what made the most sense was to do it at our lineage retreat. We'll have everybody there together. And uh, now listen, uh, it was announced. Well, okay. So, so yeah, we'll have everybody there together. We're going to do it at the lineage retreat. You do not want to miss it. This is the foundation of everything that we are, everything that God has given us and everything that God has put in this house. Not to mention, it's not just about who we are collectively as a church, but the ABBA conference helps each one of you discover what is your purpose? What is your identity? What is your nature? And what is your mission? Your purpose is why you exist. Your identity is who you are. Your nature is what you are. And your mission is what you're supposed to do. And what I find by and large is that we get off track because we're trying to discover our mission, but we don't yet know our purpose. We're trying to discover our mission, but we don't yet know our identity. Or we're unclear about our identity. Or we think our identity is something other than it actually is. It's progressive. You've got to know your purpose before you can know your identity. You've got to know your identity before you can know your nature. And you've got to know your nature before you can know your mission. And if you want to dig deep into that stuff and walk away with a new knowledge, not only of who we are, but of who you are and what God has called you to be and to do in the earth, then do not miss the lineage retreat. Yeah, come on. Mm. Amen. Mm. All right, enough of that. How many were at our Good Friday service? A few of you were. Yeah, wasn't that awesome? Yeah. So good, right? That That was crazy. That was awesome. All right. 
We're going to jump right into the Word of God. I'm going to try to get you out of here by 1230, okay? Mm. You believe me? You don't believe me. I'm going to do my best. uh, Jeremy and Anna, you two just start yelling at me at 1230 if I'm not done, okay? Just start going, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Just start, just start, just start praising the Lord. That'll, that'll, you know, that'll do it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you and we give you praise. And we pray for the power of the resurrection to be made manifest in this room today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, got to ha- we have to talk about what came between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Mm. You see, in the body of Christ, we pay a lot of, te- of attention to Good Friday. Growing up, I've always loved Good Friday. I've always experienced a, a, a tremendous amount of grace on Good Friday. I've always, I've always had an encounter with God on Good Friday. Good Friday was transformed for me uh, when I was probably in my early 20s. And I got a revelation about the fact that it wasn't just that Jesus died for me, that is, in my place, to bear the penalty for my sin, but he also died with me, which means that he took all of my pain and all of my sorrow and all of my shame. See, Jesus didn't just die for your sin. He also died to identify with your pain. Come on. And when I got that revelation of the fact that Jesus died with me, that there was never a moment in which I experienced pain or rejection or shame or fear, that Jesus was not suffering with me in that moment, and that all I had to do was look to the cross to see someone who identified fully with my suffering, it changed my experience of Good Friday. And Resurrection Sunday has always been a powerful time for me ever since 1995 when I visited Israel for the first time. And I got to go to the tomb of Jesus. And and actually, there's a bunch of scholarly disputes about whether it's the tomb or not. Honestly, I don't know if it's the tomb or not, but as far as I'm concerned, it's the tomb. (laughs) Because whether it is or not, I can guarantee he ain't in there. Come on. That's good. And when I went there and when I stood in that place and when I walked into that place and, 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 and what I experienced there was sheer victory. The death has no power here. Come on. And I stood there and I wept and, and being there and just being in that place and saying, he's alive, he is, not, he is not dead, but he is risen. They said, if you go to the followers of Buddha, if you go to the tomb of Buddha, his followers will say, there he lies. If you go to the tomb of Confucius, his followers will say, there he lies. If you go to the tomb of Muhammad, his followers will say, there he lies. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus, his followers will say, there he lay. Why seek ye the living among the dead? And so I've always had a powerful experience on Good Friday. And I've always had a powerful experience on Resurrection Sunday. But I never knew what to do in between. Saturday was always just Saturday. It was just that day in between. See, something bad happened on Friday, something good happened on Sunday, but Saturday was just 
the in-between. <laughs> See, the devil did something on Friday, but God reversed it on Sunday. But Saturday was just in-between. And we've actually come to call it Silent Saturday. Because it's the day in which the devil did something on Friday and God didn't do anything about it. The day in which Jesus suffered after he had suffered and after he had died and, and it seemed unjust, but the justice of God seemed to be suspended in time for Saturday. There was nothing to do Saturday for the disciples except to go back fishing. Saturday was a day of uncertainty. Is God going to hear my prayer or not? Right. Is God going to answer or not? Is God going to do anything or not? You see, for us, the space between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday is simply about a 36-hour space. That's all it is. It's just 36 hours because when we go through Good Friday service, we might even cry. You might watch the Passion of the Christ and have a good cry when you see Jesus crucified on the, church, on the cross. But after Good Friday, you're not crying on Saturday. Mm. Why? Because you know that Sunday's coming. Right, right, right. You know in a few hours, you know, yeah, he died. But in a few hours, in about 36 hours from now, start counting down. The resurrection is going to occur and God's going to reverse it. But if you could go back and stand with those 12 disciples of his, well, 11 of them, they didn't have that certainty it was silent Saturday, the day when prayers are not answered, the day when God seems not to hear, the day when God seems not to respond, the day when it seems like, is this thing real or was I deceived? When I came to Christ, did I really get saved or was I deceived? When I pray, does God really hear me or am I just out of my mind? When I had that powerful encounter with God, was that just an emotional moment or was it real? Silent Saturday is actually the day that we have to live through all the time. Wow. You see, because when you're in between, when you're in that space between promise and fulfillment, in that space between evil happening to you and God reversing it and turning into good, yeah. in that space, that's the hardest space to live. Right. And, right. God, and notice that God did not immediately raise his son Jesus from the dead. He could have raised him up immediately. Come on, that's right. As soon as he died, the angels could have come and taken him down from the cross and God could have raised him up immediately and publicly in front of everybody. He could have done it 45 minutes later. Come on. I mean, 45 minutes minutes is enough. Like he's good and dead. Everybody would have confirmed that he's dead. It still would have been a resurrection. Why did God wait until the third day? Because Jesus not only entered into our suffering and death on the cross, but he entered into our waiting. Wow, wow. Our waiting for God to respond. He entered into that middle process with us where we're waiting to see what God's going to do on our behalf, but there's no, there's no certainty about what God's going to do. He entered into that middle space where you're not sure if it's working or not. Come on. So good. Silent Saturday. You know, I uh, am on a diet right now. <laughs> And uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you know. <laughs> and if you're my Facebook friend, you know. <laughs> my brother told me, I was talking to my brother a couple months ago. I said, how do I do this? He says, you've got to make it public. Mm. You've got to put it on Instagram. You've got to put it on, fe on Facebook. You've got to make it public. I said, why? He said, so people can hold you accountable. 
He says, once you make it public, if you fall off the wagon, people are going to come after you and go, hey, what happened? Hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, you're inviting people into your journey with you. You need to make it public. And secondly, you need people to celebrate your victories with you. Yeah. So good. And I thought, that's so dangerous because I've started diets a thousand times before and I've even made them public. First day of my diet and never made it to day two. <laughs> my niece is in town from San Luis Obispo. Her and her mom drove in last night and uh, she saw me and she said, wow, you've lost a lot of weight. How much have you lost? And I said, I've lost 25 pounds. And she goes, yeah. she goes, only 25 pounds? <laughs> and I said, that's a lot. <laughs> She said, well, how long have you been on the diet? I said, 35 days. She goes, oh. She said, I thought you'd been on it for years. I said, why? She said, because when you came to my graduation from college two years ago, you barely ate anything at the restaurant because you said you were on keto. I was like, yeah, but that was the only day I was on keto. I started it that morning and ended it that night. <laughs> now, I started this diet 35 days ago. I started on March 14th. I think that's 35 days. It might be a day or two off. But I started the morning of March 14th. The reason I started the morning of March 14th is because I was having all of these health problems and I was hospitalized twice since last November and both times my blood pressure was out of control and the doctors were like, he's going to die soon. No, I mean, they didn't say that, but it was, you know, it was, it was pretty obvious that if something didn't change in my life, I was on the verge of a bad thing. Then on March 14th, I think I might have told you guys this already, I got a call from a friend of mine who's a very prophetic person, he hears from God, and he says to me at 7.20 in the morning on March 14th, he says, Benjamin, I had a dream last night that you died, and it was health related. So you need, he said, I need you to get your health together right now. Well, I had just poured myself the biggest cup of coffee the biggest cup of the blackest coffee I could make and had just pumped it full of French vanilla creamer. So it was full of sugar. And I had just taken one sip of that coffee and when he said that to me, I poured the rest of it in the sink. I started keto that day and I started going to the gym that day. Now, of course, the first week is hell. <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm having coffee withdrawals and I'm having sugar and carb withdrawals at the same time. And so weakness and headaches and feeling like you're going to die and all of that stuff, you know, your body's telling you, you're killing at me, you're killing me. No, actually, I'm making you alive. Isn't it funny that sometimes wow. you can feel like you're dying when actually you're being made alive? Actually, the thing that's making you healthier, you might get, your body might trick you into thinking that it's putting you to death. Yeah. Mm. There's a sermon there. One day we'll get to that. Not today. Because I only got 24 minutes. The first 21 days, I lost 21 pounds. The first 21 days on keto, I was going to the gym four to five times a week. And I was, I was eating a strict ketogenic diet. I was peeing on the stick every morning. And it was turning bright purple, dark purple. So I was definitely deep in ketosis. But one morning, I woke, and I thought, man, 21 pounds in 21 days, I'm killing this thing. I'll be at my goal weight in two months. But after the 21st day, something happened. I stopped losing weight. And for the next two weeks, 
I wasn't sure if it was working or or not working. Mm. I was going to the gym, but not losing any more weight. I was eating correctly, but not losing any more weight. I was following the plan to the T, but not losing any more weight. I I was sleeping as I was supposed to be sleeping, waking when I was supposed to be waking, exercising when I was supposed to be exercising, eating when I was supposed to be eating and what I was supposed to be eating, but it it was not doing any good. Have you ever been there? I've been trying, but it's not working. I've been doing everything right, but it's not working. I've been praying, but God doesn't seem to be answering. I've been asking, seeking, and knocking, but the door hasn't opened to me. And and when you hit that place, you always feel like there must be something I'm doing wrong. There's got to be something I'm doing wrong. I must be doing something. What am I doing wrong? Or you're either tempted to feel like, Something's wrong. I'm doing something wrong. Or forget this junk. This junk don't work. Mm, yeah, yeah. And then you go back to eating chitlins and <laughs> donuts off the donut wall. And <laughs> forget this. What am I doing all of this struggling for when it's not doing any good in my life? I tried praying every day. I tried reading from my Bible. I even tried going to church. I even joined a community group. Why is my life not getting any better? Right, right. I was going through a crisis and then I came to Jesus and I thought he would deliver me from the crisis. But I'm still in the crisis. I'm walking with Jesus, but I'm still in the crisis. I'm seeking the Lord, but I'm still in the crisis. I'm doing everything right, but nothing is going right in my life. And after about a week and a half of that struggle, I ran into a member of the Emeryville campus of our church who is a keto expert. And I said to her, help me understand what's happening in my body. I need some understanding. Mm. Because everything in me is saying, throw in the towel, And go do what your heart desires to do. And you know what my heart desires to do? (laughs) My heart desires to have a baptismal service with Oreo cookies (laughs) and ice cold whole milk. And I want to baptize a multitude. Just all of them cookies coming to Jesus. And then me and a whole bag of Oreos will become one flesh. That is my sincere and heartfelt desire. And if it's not working, if the dieting is not working, then why am I still working if it's not? Right, right, right. Why am I still depriving myself? Why am I still disciplining myself if this thing is not working? And I said to her, I need you to give me some understanding. Help me understand what's going on in my body. Mm. And she looked at me and said, let me tell you what's going on in your body. I said, tell me what's going on in my body. She said, what's going on in your body is this. You have a certain number of fat cells. And you've lost a tremendous amount of weight. 21 pounds, that's a lot. Yes. You know what happened? All those fat cells dumped the fat out of them but refilled themselves with water. Why? Because your body doesn't believe you yet. And your body is going, your fat cells are going, yeah, we've been through this before. (laughs) This ain't real. (laughs) This ain't real. We're going to stay right here. (laughs) 
Because all this fat that we're dumping is coming right back. And when it comes back, we're going to be ready to receive it. So that we can go back to our normal state. And she said, here's what's going to happen. If you stay the course, and if you stick this thing out, you're going to experience what's called the whoosh effect. Can I get a witness? Does anybody know what the whoosh effect is? The whoosh effect is that moment where your body ha, begins to believe. Ha, the whoosh effect. Ha, ha. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go black church for a moment. The whoosh effect is when those fat cells can't wait any longer wow, for the wow. fat to come back. When you have outweighted the fat cells in your body. Ha, and the fat cells start to break down. Ha, yeah. And start to dump all that water that they've been storing. And all of a sudden, rivers of living water begin to flow. (laughs) And you got to pee like you've never peed before. (laughs) And she said, you just wait till that whoosh effect hits. There's going to be another wave of weight loss. I almost started speaking in tongues right there. (laughs) I said, you just set me free. Right, right, right. That I have to walk through this season where it feels like nothing is happening, but I have to believe that that even though nothing is happening on the surface, something is happening beneath the surface. That even though nothing is happening in the visible, something is happening in the invisible. That even though nothing is happening in the sight realm, something is happening in the unseen realm, and I've got to walk by faith and not by sight. I've got to believe even when I don't see. I've got to hope against all hope. In hope, I've got to believe. Someone, come on, somebody, say amen. Amen, amen. I see your skin getting darker already. We're going to turn this into a black church. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. That was inappropriate. I apologize for that. But I do need a ham and organ up there. Just for Easter, just for Easter. (laughs) And guess what happened? Guess what happened? Two weeks went by, and I was still... I fluctuated between 220 and 221 pounds. Hmm. And I went to sleep Sunday night a week ago, and I was 221, about 200, when I woke up Sunday morning, 221 pounds. I woke up Monday morning feeling like I needed to pee a river. And I did. (laughs) And I stepped on the scale Monday morning. And it said 219. And Tuesday morning, it said 218. Mm. 218.6. Wednesday morning, 218 even. Thursday morning, 217.6. Friday morning, 217 even. Saturday morning, 216.6. And this morning, 216 even. Can I get a witness? The whoosh effect. Amen. Amen. 
Nothing's changing in your life. You just need to wait for the whoosh effect. The change is happening on the inside, but it doesn't look like it's happening on the outside. On the outside, it looks like he's still in the grave and death has got its hold on him. On the outside, it looks permanent and nothing's going to change. But on the inside, he was simply waiting for the whoosh effect. That's what the the resurrection was. It was the divine whoosh effect. Come on. Just wash all that death away. Mm. Now here's the problem. I've lost 25 pounds. And I'm still fat. (laughs) That's really sad. When you lose 25 pounds and you're still fat. That that's you know how sad that is? You know how discouraging that is? You know what I'm talking about? I still got Dunlop's disease. You know what Dunlop's disease is? Where your belly done lops over your belt. I remember thinking, I can't wait. I need to lose at least 20 pounds so I can wear a suit again. See, everybody told me, oh, PB, you stopped wearing suits. You must not, you don't like suits anymore. I can't fit my suits anymore. I couldn't wait to try on my suits. Last night I was trying on suits and I could actually button the jacket. But I wanted to wear a tie, but I can't button my shirt yet. (laughs) I still got 36 more pounds to go, guys. Mm. 36 more pounds to go. I'm fighting for every pound. 36 to go. On Saturday, you're midway through a process. And when you're midway through the process, it's easier to focus on how far you have to go rather than on how far you've come. It's hard to see the progress. Honestly, when I look in the mirror, I don't look skinnier to myself. I still look the same to me. Feels like... Nothing's happened. The, scale, the only way I know is because the scale is telling me. Mm. Thank God for the scale. Because <laughs> without the scale, I would be completely discouraged right now. Mm-hmm. And secondly, other people see it. Yeah. Yeah. E- except my wife. <laughs> my wife went on a mission trip. When she came home, I thought, wait till she sees how much weight I've lost. And she came back. She's like, you haven't lost any weight, have you? I lost nine pounds while you were gone. You did? I said, with such an encouraging wife, who needs the devil? (laughs) I'm just playing. No, my wife is super encouraging in her own way. (laughs) Bless her heart. She encourages me to keep pressing on because you ain't there yet. We know that he died on Friday. We know that he rose on Sunday. What did he do on Saturday? Mm. Come on. Come on. The Nicene Creed, you know what the, the Apostles' Creed tells us. The Apostles' Creed was adapted from the Nicene Creed. It is simply the statement of what all Christians in all places and at all times have believed. 
The creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. The creed says of Jesus that what he did on Friday was die. What he did on Sunday was rise. What he did on Saturday was descend into hell. Now, since the Reformation, there has been a lot, a lot, a lot of argumentation about precisely what he did when he descended into hell. Traditionally, the doctrine says that he descended into hell and snatched the keys of death and hell out of the hand of Satan. And the evidence for that is Revelation 1.18, which we read at the beginning of this message. He appears to John on the island of Patmos, and, and he says to John, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And John says, I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and I saw one like a son of man standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. And then he begins to describe the resurrected Jesus in all of his glory. He said, his head and hair were white as wool, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like bronze Find in the fire. He wore a robe down to his feet and a golden sash across his chest, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And John said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he put his right hand on me and said, John, don't be afraid. I'm the beginning and the end. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Let me tell you what I came back from my trip to hell with. The keys. I went to hell so that I could take the keys of death and hell. I've come back from the dead. And now that I've come back from the dead, I have the keys of death and hell. What Jesus was saying is the things that you go through actually give you greater authority than the things that you avoid. Wow. You see, oftentimes we would love to avoid trouble. We would love to avoid trials. We would love to avoid tribulations, not realizing that God allows you to walk through things so that when you come out of it, you'll have the keys. Wow. <laughs> you have the keys to whatever you have overcome. Come on. Whatever you have endured and overcome, if you've overcome it, you've come out with the keys. And when you come out with the keys, that means that you have the power to to set other people free the way you were set free. I'm going to give you an example. Wow, wow. I had migraine headaches from the time I was a little boy. And they happened at least once a week. And and when I would get hit with a migraine headache, it was so bad that I would be bedridden, sometimes up to two, two to three days. All, it, my head would hurt so bad and there was no medicine that could take the pain away. My vision would blur and my vision would just be all blurry and I couldn't see anything. And I would just have to go lock myself in a dark room and just put my head down in a pillow and just endure the pain for however long it would last. Sometimes between one and three days the pain would happen. 
And uh, I remember I was a freshman in Bible college in the fall of 1994, and all of a sudden, in the middle of class, one of these migraine headaches hit me, and my vision starts blurring, and I'm like, oh, no. And then here come the sledgehammer blows to the head. Bam, bam, and I'm in, I'm in so much pain. I had to leave the classroom. I was trying to get some, to somewhere where I could lay down in a bed somewhere. I was trying to find a friend who lived nearby to take me and let me lay down in his bed and, and just close the door and turn off the light so I could try to you know, escape this pain, but it hit me too quickly. And so I just sat down in the courtyard at the school and I, I buried my head in the table outside and I'm just in agony. I'm stuck. I'm like, I can't go anywhere. One of my professors walked by and he saw me sitting there. He was my professor for Bible introduction. I went to a Bible college, but he also taught a class called the study of the miraculous. He taught us about the miracles of the Bible. And he walks by and he sees me and he says, uh, Benjamin, what's wrong? And I said, I've got a migraine headache. He says, you get those often? I said, yes, since I was a little boy. And he pauses for a second and gets silent. And then with one finger, he touches me on the back of my head and says, touch him, Jesus. At the epicenter of where that finger touched my head, all of a sudden I felt the power of God break out from that point, cover my whole head, and go through my whole body. And I sat up and the headache was gone. And my vision was clear. And I said, oh my God, I just got healed. I just got healed of something that I've had since I was a little boy. And it happened instantaneously, supernaturally, miraculously. It happened out of the blue, unexpectedly. I didn't know that could happen. But it happened. And I was so excited. I was so thankful. And I I ran around telling everybody. But guess what happened? A couple months later, I was was, uh, at some church meeting somewhere. And I walked outside. And there was a guy sitting on the steps. And he was holding his head. Oh, oh, holding his, just clutching his head. And I walked to him. I said, hey, do you have a migraine headache? He goes, yeah, I got a migraine headache. And I said, how long have you been getting these? <laughs> I didn't even know why he asked that question, but he asked it, so I thought I would ask it too. <laughs> do you get these often? Yeah, I get these often. How long? Since I was a little boy. And I said, touch him, Jesus. And I touched his head, and he goes, hey, it's gone. gone. He got completely healed. And I thought, God brought me out of that. I have authority to bring other people out of that. That's it. The stuff that you walk through and come out of, you come out of with keys. Wow. God is not simply interested in protecting. See, listen, you've been asking God to protect you and to shield you from some things that you need to walk through because your set of keys is not yet complete. Come on. God wants to give you more keys. Come on. And that's why he's going to let you walk through some things. That's good. The disciples had to endure Silent Saturday. And we have to endure Silent Saturday. Jesus himself endured Silent Saturday. And we have to endure Silent Saturday. David prophesied of Silent Saturday in the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8 and following. He says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart rejoices. My tongue also will be glad. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, 
with everlasting pleasures at your right hand. If only we could get a hold of that psalm in the midst of every trial, in the midst of every difficult season. No, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. I know it's a tough time today, but you will not abandon my soul to the grave. I know it feels like I'm dying. I know it feels like I'm losing everything. I know it feels like everything's falling apart, but this is just silent Saturday. I can endure silent Saturday because I know that Sunday is coming. You can endure silent Saturday because you know that something is coming. If your trust and your hope are in Jesus. He endured not only the cross, but he endured the grave. And he endured the grave because he trusted. My father's not going to leave me here. Phil, if you could come back. I got one more story and then I'm done. I read a story recently about an earthquake that happened in one particular city. And a building collapsed. And there was a group of kids that were 10 or 11 years old, four or five of them that were all in this particular room. And when the building collapsed, these kids and that room, it was a, a sinkhole that opened up. It collapsed down under the ground and they were stuck. And all of the kids were freaking out except one. All of the kids, they knew they were stuck there and they thought, we're going to die here. There's no way we can get out of this. But one of the kids had confidence. And he said, you know what he said? He told the kids, don't worry, my dad will get us out. Mm. So what are you talking about? He says, my dad will get us out. Mm. They said, how do you know? He said, I just know. My dad, my dad would never leave us down here. Yeah. My dad... If I'm down here, my dad will not leave me down here. My dad will do whatever he has to do to get us out. My dad will get us out. And all the other kids, none of the other kids knew his dad, but they knew him. Mm. And because he had so much faith and confidence in his dad, the other kids calmed down. So good. And it was some 36 hours. What was happening above the ground? Above the ground, that kid's dad... (laughs) was working furiously, frantically. When he heard, my kid is down there, for the entire 36 hours, he was digging and digging and digging. Everyone else, yeah, they were working too, but they were taking breaks here and there. But this father took no breaks. For 36 hours straight, he dug and he dug and he dug and he dug. He outdug even the fire crew. And that dad would not leave. And after about 36 hours, he turned over one stone and there was an opening and he could hear voices down there and he called his son's name and his son responded, we're here, dad, and we're okay. And when they came and opened up that spot and started pulling those kids out, his son was just beaming (laughs) and he looked at the other kids and said, I told you my dad would get us out. Can I tell you something? You are never so deep in a place where your dad will not come and get you out. I don't know where you are when you walk into this place. I don't know what trial or tribulation you're walking through. I don't know what you have to deal with. Some of you in this room right now have to deal with stuff that if it were made public, everybody would be amazed. How do you handle that? How do you go through that? How do you deal with that? You're in a place that's so deep and so dark that nobody could pull you out. But let me tell you something. Your daddy will pull you out. He will not abandon your soul to the grave. 
He will not suffer you to see corruption. He will make known to you the paths of life. He will fill you with joy in his presence with everlasting pleasures at his right hand. All you need is the confidence to know, my daddy will pull me out. My daddy will pull me out. You know what? There's other people in that pit with you. You're going to give them the hope to know my daddy's going to get us out. My daddy's going to pull us out. Because it looks like nothing's happening and it feels like you've just been screaming down in that pit and God's not answering. Let me tell you, he is digging. He is digging and he is not slumbering and he's not sleeping and he's not taking a break and he's not resting. And he won't stop till he gets you out. Because that's how much he loves you. Jesus was chilling, chilling in that grave for 36 hours. My daddy will get me out. <laughs> but the Roman soldiers, they nailed you to a cross. They stabbed you in the side after they beat you all night and put a crown of thorns on your head. Yeah, but my daddy will get me out. <laughs> but they put a stone in front of your grave so that nobody could move it. Yeah, but my daddy can move it. My daddy will get me out. Come on. The people that you healed turned against you. They betrayed you. Yeah, but my daddy will get me out. Do you know what gives you the confidence to endure silence Saturday? Not believing in yourself and trusting that you have the power to rise again. No. F that. (laughs) Whoever told you to believe in yourself, they lied to you. Wow. You will never be able to get yourself out. You'll never be able to crawl out of that pit by yourself. You'll never have the discipline. And even if you had the discipline, you'll never have the strength or the power. But your daddy, your daddy will get you out. Your daddy will get you out. Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you. That you who watch over Israel neither slumber nor sleep. And regardless of where your children are at, regardless of what pit that we've fallen into, what hole that we can't climb out of, regardless of how long it seems to take, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that there would be confidence, that you would give us confidence and the Father who will get us out. I prayed in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I just want to ask, is there, if there's anyone in this room, I just want to give you an opportunity. If there's anyone in this room, you say, I've never received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior before, and I want to receive him today. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this Daddy. I want to know this Father. Let me tell you something. Your, your Daddy will get you out, but you've got to go through the right channel. And what's the right channel? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. How do you call him your daddy? You become a child of God by believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today, you say, I want this Jesus and I want this Father. I want to know him in this way. This is you. Just lift your hand. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around but me. You say, I want to receive him today. Go ahead, just lift your hand. I just want to see your hand so I can pray for you. Maybe you've accepted Jesus before, but you've walked away. You've not trusted him. And you say, I want to come back. I want to trust him. I want to return. I want to, re- I want to be restored. You say, that's me. I want to be restored. Just lift up your hand right where you are.
Finally, you say, thank you, I see that hand. Finally, you say, I'm in a pit. And I need strength to believe that my daddy will get me out. Just lift your hands right where you are. We're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yep. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would settle in on each and every heart. And that you would release confidence and faith, hope, and trust. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that death could not keep you in the ground. Death could not keep you in the ground. And because death could not keep you in the ground, it can't keep us in the ground. And so we rejoice in you with hearts filled with faith and thanksgiving. And we give you all praise, glory, and honor in your name. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise in this place. Everybody stand up.